0: Please open your Bibles to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. We did an overview of Jonah last week. Um, If you missed that, you can go to our website and you can listen so you get uh, more of the background uh, and the history um, of what was going on at this time. I'm going to begin reading here, uh, Jonah 1, verse 1, I'll read through verse 16, and then we'll spend the next hour looking at it in detail. This is the word of God through the prophet Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah Rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about ready to break up. Then the sailors became afraid. And every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down below under the hold of the ship, lain down, and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him. He said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord of God. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And then the the men became extremely frightened. And they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea and then the sea will become calm for you for I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to the land, but they could not for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. And then they called out on Yahweh. They called out on the Lord. They called out on the one true God and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, they threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. And then the men feared the Lord greatly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you now with, I pray and hope, hearts that are prepared to receive um, the truth of Scripture, your word, eternal truth, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I ask, Lord, this morning on behalf of your people, that uh, you would minister to every Christian here this morning that there would be a greater, a deeper, a richer understanding of the truths before us. And I ask that you'd empower me by your Holy Spirit to communicate the glorious truths here in these verses before us. And for those who are here who are lost, who uh, do not have a true living relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, I pray would be the end of their running. That new life would be granted to them for your glory, for their good, for your honor. And we pray also, in addition to this morning here, for the people of Haiti. And we ask, Lord, that in the midst of their great loss, in the midst of the destruction that they see all around them, that your people... Um, Those that are yours in salvation would bear witness and give testimony of the good and the grace and the power, the love and the mercy that you have through your son, Jesus Christ, that you provide through your son, Jesus Christ. For those who arrogantly stand and ask, how could God possibly do this? That they'd be humbled and that men would grow to know that you are the sovereign ruler of the universe and though your purposes and your will is beyond our comprehension, that your people would submit themselves to you, bear witness of you for the glory of your name. And also that you grant wisdom and discernment to any and all nations that will be assisting, granting aid, that you will provide the Lord abundant Amounts of money needed to remove the rubble, to care for the needy, to minister and medicate those who've been injured. Uh, May your name be glorified. May they have incredible wisdom and resources to do that which is honorable, Lord, for your name's sake, the sovereign ruler of the universe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Lessons of a disobedient prophet of God. That's what we'll see this morning. Isaiah proclaimed in chapter 45, verse 9, Woe to him who strives with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or shall your handiwork say he has no hands? Woe to him who says to his father, what are you begetting? Or to the woman, what have you brought forth? The apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9 writes, who are you, O man? Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Will it? The purpose for which this little book, Jonah, is written is simple, and that is this, that the overarching record of Jonah is about evangelism and the sovereignty of God. Evangelism and the sovereignty of God. Here we have an elect man who represents an elect nation that is called and commissioned to take the gospel to a foreign people, the Ninevites. The prophetic revelation of God comes to Jonah. Here is a definitive command of God to his own prophet Jonah. Arise, go, and cry out against the evil of Nineveh. That's the command. And on the heels of that definitive command, Jonah defiantly goes in the exact opposite direction as described with two simple words but Jonah. And then each step of the way in verse three, it just resonates with defiance. This is a man who's saying, I will not, I am not, and I shall not go. (laughs) All the while attempting to flee from God. Attempting to flee from the presence of God. Now, Jonah fled upon the Lord's command for a number of reasons, Um, reasons that I believe are more than mere conjecture. And the first reason is because he simply hated the Ninevites, the Assyrian people. The Assyrian people were no doubt a ruthless people. They were feared and dreaded by all people of the day. Their methods of torture were so cruel in order to extract information from their enemies, that uh, many people, it's recorded, that would actually commit suicide in order for the Assyrians not to reach them and take them captive and do that which they would do with them. They would bury a man up to his neck in the hot desert. They put a thong through his tongue and let him bake in the hot sun. They would skin human beings alive. They would take men and impale them on a sharp post alive. and they would move like a plague of locusts upon towns and villages, overtaking city after city. They would take captive women, they would brutally slay the men and dash the children upon the stones. So Jonah has disdain and disgust for Nineveh. Secondly, the message that he was to preach was a message of wrath and judgment. This was not a message, Jesus loves you, And he has a plan for your life, which isn't the gospel, by the way. No, 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. That's the message that he's to take. Those are the words to be heralded. And that message of imminent judgment would be the means to God's end in saving that ruthless group of people. And Jonah knew all too well that God may very well save those people. He record, it's recorded in Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. But all the same, such a message wouldn't normally be received well. And any prophet knew that. So who needs the hassle of such a people as that with such a message as this? <laughs> and third, his prophetic call here was very uncommon to go to another people than God's own people, Israel. That wasn't the norm. This was opposite of the typical Old Testament manner for which God would send his prophets out. You see, Israel as a nation witnessed God to others by serving him at the the crossroads of the known world where the continents of Asia, Africa, and Europe meet. And any person traveling by way of land would take route through Israel. What would they see? They would see the temple of God. And within that temple, they would come to learn as the Holy of Holies. They would see the sacrificial system set up in order to atone for the people's sins. A blood sacrifice. Much festivity as ordained by God himself. So in Jonah's time, God's norm was to send prophets to his own people. Now here's Jonah. I can imagine saying, why me? When most everyone else goes to the Israelites. And number four, the main reason that he didn't want to go, that he disobeys God, is simply because he was a disobedient child of God blatantly disobedient. Deliberately operating outside of the commanded will of his Savior. You know, like the prodigal son who did not want to live under the will of his father. Who departs and he goes to a far country wasting all of his possessions is recorded in Luke 15. So, Jonah runs in an attempt to flee from the presence of God. What a fool. We can point to him and say, what a fool, running from the presence of God, but how many of us have been in the exact same place? Children of God attempting to run from God. The psalmist asks the question, in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, like Jonah will, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If the purpose of Jonah is evangelism and the sovereignty of God, then what is the lesson of the book? And it's simply this. No one can successfully defy the sovereign purpose of God, period. No one can, no one will defy the sovereign purpose of God. The attempt alone is utter foolishness. Because in doing so, you make your opponent God, who possesses absolute sovereign control over all things, including willful disobedience. Meaning that regardless of our defiance, God's purposes are never threatened, they're never frustrated, never upset. You cannot thwart God's plan. God is never manipulated by our fits of rage. He's never manipulated by our temper tantrums or our pouting. Well, I'm just mad at God. Here we have an angry prophet. I'm mad at God and I'll be me mad at God. You think he's manipulated by that? That's ridiculous. That's defiance. And all defiance against God is self-destructive. You will not destroy God. God doesn't wring his hands in despair. He doesn't sit distraught over our willful disobedience, beloved. Never has, never will. And it's not because he doesn't have any feelings. God is a person. He has feelings. But what he doesn't have is this, fear. Not one ounce of fear does God. So neither you, I, or Satan has any chance in holding back the forward motion of God's purposes. As one pastor has said, you have as much of a chance chance in impeding the forward motion of God's purpose as does a single ant before a locomotive. Good luck. So Jonah here, he digs in his heels against God. And that's what defiance is. And he will soon realize that he's in an unfair fight. He's overmatched, he's overpowered, and he's outclassed. So let's look at the account. God delivers this prophetic revelation to Jonah here in verses one and two. Right? He tells him what to do. He tells him where to go. We looked at that last week. This is a message of judgment, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it for their wickedness to come up before me. Verse 3. But, but Jonah rose up and fled. And then what does he find? He finds exactly what he wants, beloved. He finds a way out. This is what he finds. What could have been going through the mind of Jonah in his divergent departure from the will of God? circumstances, no doubt, are in my favor here. I mean, could this be God showing mercy to me? Okay, now over here, definitely, he he, he called me to go, he commanded me to go to Nineveh, and you know, I'm pricked in my conscience because I've been disobedient. But now, I mean, could he possibly be, be showing sympathy towards me? I mean, after all, here I am in Joppa. There just happens to be a ship leaving. I've been thinking about Tarshish. And here it is. Perhaps God hasn't really called me to Nineveh. Perhaps God has really not commanded me to do this or that. So here now is a ship. It's ready to leave. And there's even a birth in that ship for me. Is this not gracious providence of God? Look at the circumstances. Look at this open door opportunity. This has to be of God. You know, another open door. Many people live their lives like that. This open door and that open door and this circumstance and that circumstance. I was thinking about blue and I looked outside and the sky's blue, so I must have to go this way. That's ridiculous, but many Christians live their lives like that. And we live in a day when religious experience is at a premium. Christians walk through life looking for open doors or, or circumstances that line up as though God speaks through those circumstances. Never ever mistake the circumstances of life as God's guidance for you through the way of signs. That is foolishness. I know I've been married, but it's an unhappy marriage, and my husband hates me, and I really can't stand him, and this guy over here, he's my soulmate. Why would God put my soulmate in my life if he didn't want me to go off? This has to be his will. Wrong. <laughs> Do not take the events of your daily life as as your instructor when you have not taken God's word as a lamp unto your feet. Psalm this said, Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to what? My path. Not this open door and that open door and this circumstance plus this circumstance equals this circumstance. It's the word of God. Test all things in light of the word of God. We hold fast to that which is true, amen? So in response, here's a defiant prophet of God. He says, no, I'm not going. So God responds, oh, no. My desires have been disrupted by the free will of Jonah. Now I'm going to have to wait around for another prophet who's willing to do my will who freely wills to do my will. Is that how God responds? No way, Jose. No. In between verses three and four, there's a literary shift from but Jonah to but Yahweh. And God's but negates Jonah's but. God's but always trumps disobedient, free will agent man's but. Amen? So the focal point of the story moves from Jonah's disobedience to God's covenant name, Yahweh, Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Who's in control of all things? Who's in control of man's salvation? Who's in control of what's going on in Haiti? Almighty God. Where was God when Haiti fell to the ground? And we pray and we have compassion, yes. Where was he? Answer, place he's always been. He's on the throne ruling and reigning. But the Lord, verse four, hurled, hurled a great wind on the sea. And there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about ready to break up. This phrase, the Lord, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, this is, is graphic violent language. Hurled is the same u- word used when King Saul hurled a spear at David. And Saul's intent was not to scare David. Saul's intent was to pin him to the wall. So here then, in this situation, Jonah is God's target. And once he hurls his weapon, number one, he don't miss. And number two, in this case, it causes a chain reaction of events that will be played out before us in the weeks to come. Now, notice first the contrasting reaction to God's violent pursuit of Jonah. Verse five, then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them, but... Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down, and fallen sound asleep. So, the, remos- the emotional response of the sailors is that of fear. These men are panic stricken, facing the wrath of God. So, they send out this SOS request to any and all deities that might hear, that might respond, that would calm the sea. Let's call out to the God of the ocean, the God of the Med. Remember this crew? This is a crew of salty dog sailors. These are seafaring men. This is what they do for a living. They're not easily unraveled by rough seas, beloved. They know the sea. But here, they're, they're so terrified that they start jettisoning cargo overboard. This is their living that they're throwing overboard. They're going on a long journey. It's upward of like 2000 miles, which would have been somewhere in Spain. Meaning that they're fearing for their very lives, knowing that this storm, this storm and we've been in many storms, but this storm's supernatural. That's their response. Compared to God's prophet Compared to the one who has a true relationship with the living God of the universe, but Jonah had gone down below into the hold of the ship, lain down and fallen asleep. In other words, he's snoring. that's how deeply he's sleeping. It's like a snoring kind of sleep. Once we disobey the Lord, beloved, the way down is easy. And it only gets easier. Justifying your sin gets easier. Circumstances that you can jump on board with only get easier to recognize and then to leap. Disobedience to will of God causes us to descend into the lower parts and to fall asleep with regard to discernment and heavenly wisdom. So these pagan sailors are are likely a group of multi-ethnic men. That's the crew. And these men, these pagans, knew better than God's own prophet. This is like Balaam's donkey who knew better than Balaam. So what we learn here is that disobedience and complacency causes spiritual lethargy to where you don't want to think about God. A child of God who doesn't want to obey the word of God, you you don't want to hear about God. You don't want to think about God. You don't want to think about his will. You don't want to think about your sin. You don't want to think about his word and our responsibility. That's the last thing you want to think about. So as you justify yourself along the way, the downward spiral to the deeper chambers of the place where you can fall asleep, you will rest well because you pushed God, in your mind anyway, out of your mind, right? We've all been there before, amen? Most likely, So we descend into the slumber of a seared conscience. Convicted at first, for sure. But because we're spiritually lazy, now we're in a place of lethargy, callousness towards the things of God have set in, and finally, disobedience and rebellion to the word of God set in. And that's where Jonah is. Despair will set in. Throwing you into to a tailspin where they shut themselves off from fellowship. That's what happens when someone disappears from fellowship in the church. Okay, nine point nine times out of ten, the reason that they disappear is because they're in this place. They break off fellowship with the body because there's conviction, because they're on the run from God. Why would they want to be around God's people? It's like sleepwalking Christians. You know what people can do in their sleep? They can talk in their sleep. They can walk in their sleep. Then you got a bunch of Christians who walk around who are in blatant disobedient to God. They're outside of the commanded will will of God and they're in a spiritual coma, but they can walk in and talk in their sleep and say, praise the Lord, praise Jesus, hallelujah. Amen? That's easy. Christian ease language while you're in a spiritual coma. But may the Lord grace us. May he grace us at Pacific Hope Church not to fall into a spiritual coma. So God's prophet, Jonah, who has the word of God, among pagans, he's completely blind to his surroundings. He's in a deep sleep amidst God's stirring wrath, doesn't even recognize it. I had a friend like that who was walking in willful disobedience to God. He's the first guy that ever shared the gospel with me. It was back in 1986. Visited his church. He knocked on the door. I've told some of you this story before. He said, hey, man, you came to church on Sunday. We're here just to follow up with you. And he asked me, hey, John, are you... He knew I wasn't a Christian. I knew the guy personally. I was not a Christian. So he asked me if I was a Christian. I I said what everyone else does. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. He goes, if you died today, how how do you know... What would happen to you if you died? The thing was, I knew how to answer the question. And... He wasn't groomed enough or deep enough in the faith and knowledge of the word of God to really press me on the point and nail me to the wall. And he just said, well, okay, brother. And he left. Well, it wasn't long after that, and God actually did save me. My life was transformed. And I ran into that man in public. And he was acting like and living like and talking like a pagan. A pagan. I saw him at a distance, and I, said, I was thinking in my head, I, he is going to trip when he finds out that God saved my wretched soul. So I'm like, hey, Billy, guess what? What's up? God saved me. I'm a Christian. He's like, <clears throat> really? That's great. A number of months pass, and he calls me up. Oh, uh, hey, John. This is Billy. He goes, uh, my brother's in a cult, and I know you know the word of God really well, and well, I was wondering if you gave me some scriptures to confront my brother with because I'm really concerned about him. I said, hey, I heard you just got in an accident on the freeway like three months ago. Are you okay? He said, well, I just got out of the hospital. I'm okay. I said, let's talk about you. Let's forget about your brother. This phone calls about you. As a brother in Christ, you're in rebellion against God. You're on the run from God. My word to you as a brother who loves you, repent, repent. I got to go. Ran into him at a gas station. He was on his way to a popular church in town. He says, yeah, I need to go find me, a Christian girl. I said, brother, you're living in blatant disobedience. He had just gotten in another accident in the desert in a motorcycle, busted his leg or something. Wouldn't repent. Two months after that, I receive a phone call from a common friend of ours. He goes, hey, Johnny, I just wanted to call you up and tell you Billy's dead. He was partying out in the desert, riding his motorcycle, middle of the night, hit head on with a dune buggy, died instantly. On the run from God, a man who I witnessed as someone who was sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ and fell and just went down to the lower parts of the ship more easily and easily every day. Is he in heaven or in hell? I don't know. Was he truly saved or was he never not saved? Don't know. Won't know until I get there myself, you see. Jonah's dead asleep in the midst of God's stirring wrath and he doesn't recognize it. My friend didn't recognize the chastening hand of God. He ignored it. So may we be awakened this morning out of any and all spiritual apathy. Amen? Amen. Why do we gather here, beloved? Here we are at Sunday morning. We're here. What we're not here for is to simply gather a bunch of Christians to do something. Okay? We're not gathered here to to usher in a bunch of unbelievers in order for me to evangelize them. That's not the primary purpose for which we're gathered here, Beloved. What is this? This is a church. Church means called out ones, means this is God's saved people. They're gathered together for, to be taught, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ through the preaching, the heralding of his living active word, which transforms our mind and conforms us to the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. That's why we gather, in order to equip you for the rest of the week to go back to your jobs, to go back to your homes, to go back to your schools, to go back to your neighborhoods as equipped ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't be sleepwalking, amen? So, verse 6 the captain approached him and he said, How is it that you're sleeping? Get up! A pagan talking to a man of God. Wake up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so we'll not perish. So this pagan captain wants the storm to cease. He has conviction now in knowing that this storm is of a divine origin. Verse 7, each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on. Guess who? Jonah. Now, in the ancient world, determining future events, examining natural phenomena, inquiring of heaven to that which is mysterious often resulted in people casting lots. You read this throughout the Old Testament. Now, it's difficult to determine what method they used, but if you were singled out in the process, they believed that it was by divine selection. That God used this method to point out and grant answers to those that were seeking answers. So under his sovereign control here, this lot providentially falls on Jonah. Proverbs 16.31 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. That's no excuse to go to Rincon, by the way. (laughs) Amen. Some people will try to justify their sin like this. Westminster Shorter Catechism reads, quote, God's work of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving, and governing all his creatures and all his actions. This also doesn't mean you pay, play biblical roulette in life. You know, some people seek guidance by opening up their Bible in the morning, closing their eyes, and slapping their finger down on a verse. Lord, what's your will for me today? <laughs> Heard a funny story by one of our guys after the, that I was reminded of after prayer on Wednesday night. And there's a man who lived in the habit of seeking God's wisdom by slapping his finger down into random verses of the Bible. One day he opens up, slaps his finger down to Matthew 27, 5. It says, Judas went out and hanged himself. He didn't like that verse. He didn't get it. It was a little weird. So he opens up to another text and his finger lands on Luke ten thirty-seven. Which reads, then Jesus said to him, go, do, likewise. <laughs> now that really troubled him. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to do this one more time. It seemed to work every day thus far. Here it is. What is it? John thirteen thirty-seven. What you do, do quickly. Thanks for reminding me of that, John. (laughs) You see, biblical guidance, beloved, comes from the principles of the word of God in their proper context. Not random selection. This isn't some magical, mystical book. This is the living, active word of God, and God sovereignly used this method in casting lots at this time for his greater purpose, and it was to chasten one of his own by the name of Jonah. No one escapes the discipline of God.